Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, it was uh, sent out on the network that people should join uh, or subscribe to the His Holy Church uh, YouTube, and we hope to be, we have put out some videos there over the last few months, but uh, uh, we're also hoping to put a lot more up there. And I'm working on the details of that. And uh, hopefully we'll get them out before the uh, Burning Bush Festival, which is on the weekend of the 20th and 21st of this month, which is coming up rapidly. And uh, that's out here in Summer Lake. If anybody wants to come, there are people looking for rides from Washington and Southern California and probably from other locations I don't even know about. But that's one of the reasons why you should join the network, the email network, and get connected with other people and that's what we're going to talk about is connections a little bit today because there was a recent article in uh, New York Times that one of our ministers shared with us. Um, I also uh, connected on the uh, His Holy Church YouTube. Uh, somebody made a comment on our Romans 13 uh, five minute, four minute and something or five minute uh little video that we put out as an introduction to Romans 13 to suggest that possibly everything that you thought about Romans 13 before, which tells you to be subject and be in bondage and be uh, uh, submissive to uh, governmental powers, whoever creates them, uh, even they even have the philosophy that God creates all government. Well, all government is created within the universe, <laughs> and so therefore, since God created the universe, I guess you can kind of hold them somewhat responsible for government, but that is such a cop-out uh, where people think that all civil governments are created by God. No civil governments are created by God because the mere use of the word civil in referring to the government uh, if you define the word civil, I mean the way it's been defined for hundreds of thousands of years, because it actually comes from Roman civil law, is the law that men make for themselves. And God is not responsible for the laws that men make for themselves. I mean, the very first government was the city-state of of Cain, according to the biblical reference. And... Uh, and of course, then we see Nimrod and, and Pharaoh's government. And God is delivering us out of those governments and setting the captive free. And of course, we attribute that phrase to the gospel of Jesus Christ who came to set the captive free. And what, what's the, what are we setting us free from? Well, free from sin. Uh, a lot of people have a philosophy now that they call a doctrine of Jesus that, uh, that Christ set you free from the consequences of sin and now you're just forgiven sin because Jesus died and so you don't have to change, you don't have to seek to be righteous, you, you're already forgiven. Uh, which of course is just insane 
that people throw out this stuff. And, and, and there are so many people that have such shallow thinking that they accept these things because it sounds good, you know. You know, like I'm all y'alls and free. I'm, I'm, I'm free of sin because I believe in Jesus so I can keep sinning and I won't suffer the consequences of them. I will go into heaven when I die because I love Jesus. But Jesus actually said that many would come claiming to be coming in his name, claiming and, and actually even believing that they believe in Jesus, but they actually, he doesn't even know them. That, and they don't know him for sure. The same as many people at the time of Jesus Christ claimed they knew Moses, but Jesus said, if you knew Moses, you'd know me. So that's amazing. But didn't they know Moses? I mean, they, they spoke Hebrew. Uh, they read the, the Bible, the Torah, in Hebrew, and many of them in the, they read the Septuagint. And yet, and they thought they knew Moses. And yet Jesus said, if you knew Moses, you'd know me. But instead, they wanted to kill him. So if that phenomena could occur at the time of Jesus Christ, and we were warned that there would be this strong delusion and everybody would be deceived, is it possible that there are people walking around out there that believe they believe in Jesus, think they believe in Jesus, think they are in a part of or with a church that teaches the gospel of Jesus, and they're actually still workers of iniquity, and they don't actually know Jesus at all. And that they're under a strong delusion. And that they are already condemning themselves by their deeds. Because their deeds are the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Which are the... Nicolaitan means conquer people. That's what it means. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody named Nicholas. Although some guys thought that once and everybody grabbed onto that. Because the truth is often too painful for people to see. And the truth is that you're the conquered people again. You're back in the bondage of Egypt again. You're back in captivity again. And you're back in that captivity where you are now not free souls under God, but subjects under totalitarian dictatorships all over the world that have created the illusion of freedom where you own nothing and you think you're happy. <laughs> so anyway, and those of you who have listened on a regular basis may have a clue of what some of the things I kind of threw out a lot right then. But the reality is we were warned that there would be a great deception and a delusion and that the whole world would be deceived, even the very elect. And somehow other people think, well, that's not me because I'm not deceived because I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. And I'm sure a lot of people do love certain aspects of Jesus, but do they love the whole truth? Because the whole truth is the only truth. Part of the truth is by definition a lie. So you don't want to believe any lie. You don't want to believe any deception. And these deceptions can creep in. And you can have good intentions. 
and, and really loves some of the great characteristics of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, but are not willing to go the whole well. I mean, the whole way. The, the, the seeking of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you may have accepted, unknowingly, because you lack knowledge, you may have accepted elements of what you think the gospel was that aren't true. And and we should all be checking ourselves regularly to find out if we're doing that. And, and someone named Chris Carter, you can go read his comments at, uh, go look up our, at His Holy Church, go look up the Romans 13 uh, video. You can actually find that by looking up Romans 13 at Preparing You. And, uh, and I think I have the video there and you just go to YouTube and you can see the comments. And he, uh, uh, he made comments. Uh, and we let him make those comments. And it says, uh, well, his first comment was, this man, meaning me, I guess, cause I'm the guy in the video, <laughs> is a wolf in, uh, and this is, uh, foul play with the word of God. Stay away from him. So, according to his advice, to stay away from him. He doesn't say why. He, he doesn't deal with any facts. He just announces that I'm a wolf. I thought he actually said wolf in sheep's clothing, but I guess he said a wolf and this is a foul play with the words of God. Well, I just wrote back and it says, I give you facts and you return ad hominems. Because that's all he's doing is name calling. And uh, let's stick to the words of scripture. If what I say is wrong, you have the opportunity to address that error. And so guess what? He addressed what he thinks is the error. He says the real quote in King James Version is higher powers. I never said that the real quote isn't higher powers. I actually include <laughs> the real quote in the video. And I remember now the video, and I point this out to him in my response, that the video, it's only five minutes. And it's just an introduction. It's not a detailed study of, and you can, you can find the detailed study by going to our websites and, uh, and looking up Romans 13. And we even have a whole book that you can read free online. You know, the whole thing is in PDF, so you can download and read the whole book called The Higher Liberty. And you can search our website for that and find it at hisholychurch.org. And, you know, it's there. And But he didn't bother. It. What he heard in the video contradicted what he already believed was true. And... uh so therefore, it has to be wrong because it contradicts him. It contradicts what he believes the Bible is saying. Yet we know that Jesus said people will be confused and think that they're following him and think that they're Christians and think that they're, you know, they, they understand the gospel and they won't. And I, that's why I've always approached it, is that, well, maybe what I thought before was wrong. Well, I may not have always 
thought everybody, all my teachers were wrong. I questioned my teachers. I was constantly asking questions because I was kind of, you know, I should have been on Ritalin, but they hadn't invented it yet. <laughs> so I was rather precocious, and I would ask questions. I thought, like, that's why is there something wrong with asking questions of people who say they know? Uh, it just seemed, well, of course I'm asking you questions. But, you know, I genuinely, genuinely wanted to know the answers. And I expected to get the answers from all these scholars that were teaching me back when I was 12 and 13 and 14 years old in the seminary. But uh, I wasn't getting answers that satisfied me. Because there was always another question. Well, if that's so, then this... Because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a picture. And the puzzle's not fitting. And it bothered me that the puzzle... The pieces they were giving me weren't fitting together. That I mean, that doesn't fit with this. I mean, Jesus said this, and and so and going over some of the things that this Chris Carter said, you know, you know, he, he presents like the real quote. Well, I said the real quote in the article and in the video. I said the real quote, and he says it's plural, not higher power. Well, I can say higher powers, too. <laughs> the higher right to choose, make choices, make it plural. That doesn't prove anything, but he puts that in there like somehow that's an argument. Uh, and, and that's typical of people who are trying to find, you know, uh, you know, like somebody gets up and talks about something. They say, yeah, but there was a spot of grease on his, on his cheek while he was talking. <laughs> What does that have to do with the content of what he was talking about? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, the clothes he was wearing, you know. I mean, it's like saying, Moses, the guy stutters. Why do we listen to him? He's slow of speech. You know, why would God pick a prophet who is slow of speech? God wouldn't do that. He'd pick somebody who's really articulate and really smooth talker, wouldn't he? No, you would, but God wouldn't. If God was going to want to kill a giant, he's going to pick the runt of the letter to do it. <laughs> that's, that's the way God has seemingly always worked, you know. Like, oh, we got to go wipe out these guys that are endangering our whole society and threatening life and limb of everybody. And we have to go and stand against them. Why don't we get, we got 3,000 guys here. Let's go fight them. And God says, no, no, just 300. And they said, what? <laughs> you know, we're going to send the little guy out to face the giant. We're going to we're going to bring a guy who's slow of speech to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God in Egypt. Well, evidently that's the way God works. So, anyway, stop worrying about the insignificant things around the truth and try to find the truth. Don't make arguments out of things that have no basis on the subject matter. So anyway, he goes to the Greek for power or authority in Romans 13 is the word exousia. Well, exousia is not... Well, 
they they translate it power and authority, but if you look up the definition in the concordances that people commonly use, it means the power and authority to, to, to choose. There's all kinds of words that are translated power and authority in the Greek, but that word means the power to choose, the power to make choices. And so, you know, yeah, I, I know the word is exousia. You're not arguing anything yet. You're not showing anything contradictory. I I I go through that. So anyway, but he thinks that somehow other uh, it's translated power sixty nine times. Well, yeah, but sixty nine times where? And there are other words. You didn't make any mention of the other words that are translated power that are not exousia. And we do in the book, and many of them we talk about in the article, uh, in the essay, Romans 13. So he's not really, you know, he's not really created a debate yet. He's just stating individual facts, but nothing contradicts what I said. Because, yeah, it can be translated power, but in what sense? Are we talking horsepower? (laughs) Uh, you know, like I said, there are other words. Jesus says we're not to go to men and we're not to be like men who exercise authority one over the other. So when, when Jesus says that, when Jesus talks about men who exercise authority one over the other, what, what word is Jesus using when he says authority there? I mean, is he using exousia? <laughs> so that would, that would be a good question to ask. And you can you can go get any, you know, Bible software. I mean, the guy's already on on uh, you know the internet, so he has a computer. He's kind of a. It appears that you know I went and looked at his YouTube, and he's kind of like backwoods. Uh, in, in a good sense, you know, like a survival skills kind of guy. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what, you know, I didn't read it in great detail. I only had a limited amount of time to, to, to look at what he had, uh, put there on his YouTube page. But, uh, I understand that he has a lot of ideas that are just things that he's picked up over the years that he thinks is the gospel. And we we know that such ideas exist and, and are promoted by people uh, who run churches, religionists, who who say, you know, this is what this means and this. Is what, I mean, I've been dealing with those for over half a century, well over half a century. I'm pushing three quarters of a century now. <laughs> So, so, so what, what is, what, what, what do these words all mean? You know, like the exercise authority. I mean, we see that in, in, in Matthew 20:25. We see this word exercise authority. And we also see in there exercise dominion. Now, exercise authority in Matthew, there, is this, uh, it's actually a combination of words. Kata uh, exousia, which is all one word in the Greek. So you see 
this word exercise authority partially from exousia. But in that particular verse, there's also the phrase exercise dominion over them. Because he's talking about the princes of the Gentiles who exercise dominion. He says, but Jesus called them unto him, the apostles, and probably part of the 70, and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles, that would be the civil governments (laughs) that are created not by God, but by men. Because I point out that that civil means the laws that men make for themselves. And uh, he says, the princes of the Gentiles, the government of the Gentiles, exercise dominion over them, that they that are great exercise authority. So that's where you see the keta exousia zo, the whole word. And what they're saying, they make the choices. These men who exercise dominion make the choices. Upon who? Those people they exercise dominion over. That's that's the ones that they exercise authority. And he says, we're not to be that way. Well, why is he saying we're not to be that way? But if we're part of the civil government, And how do you get to be a part of the civil government? And we explain this on our articles on baptism and our articles on Herod and everything. That you sign up. Because Herod's dominion was not just in Judea. It was wherever his... Because people were traveling around. And if you go all the way back to Nimrod. Nimrod had this system of small g gods. And they were identified often with either a symbol or a statue because everybody didn't read. So you would have, well, I recognize that symbol. You know, it's like the old saloons or the old uh, inns. Uh, they would have, or like if you were a boot maker, you would hang a boot outside your store or a picture of a boot outside your store. And they, people would say, oh, there's a boot hanging there, that means that's a bootmaker. So I, that's the store I'm looking for. They didn't didn't have to write the word bootmaker on there because everybody didn't read. Well, it's the same way Nimrod did it. They had these symbols. And actually, the whole patronage uh, system of government set up by Romans, not by God, by Romans, <laughs> according to the law of God in the law of nations, they set up these governments. But that was their choices, the same as Cain set up his city-state. Nimrod set up his. Well, Nimrod set up his by having all these lesser gods, and you would be connected to one of those gods. That's where you'd go to get your welfare. That's that's who would provide a social safety net. That's who would provide a legal system of courts through this system of Nimrod. And, of course, they had, like, the Hammurabi Codes, eventually, which organized those systems of law. Well, Abraham came along and smashed all those things. He wouldn't have anything to do with that. He said there was something wrong with that. So there's something wrong with this system created by God? Well, Abraham, such a rebel. Well, we'll have to continue this when we come back. Two keys of the kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, 
we're looking at Matthew twenty twenty to twenty five, where Jesus is instructing the apostles. This is also associated with Mark ten forty two and Luke twenty two twenty five. And why? Because this is when Christ appoints to the apostles a kingdom. Remember, at the very beginning, he says, "I'm going to take the kingdom away, the civil government away." From the Gentiles. And from, well, actually he didn't say from the Gentiles, but but from this other nation. The word Gentile means another nation. But from the Pharisees who were sitting in the seat of Moses, he's going to take the kingdom away from them. And see, they're moving themselves and their people under the jurisdiction of Rome. Because if you go back to if you if you understand the history in the Bible and, and the surrounding history that we know from come down to us through the ages, I mean, people say, well, if it's not in the Bible, I don't want to listen to it. Well, you can't even read the Bible unless you've read a dictionary. So when you're reading the Bible, you've already looked at other books in order to come up with the meaning of words that you're reading in the Bible because you supposedly know how to read. But words can have multiple definitions, and so we look at the Greek to see in what sense this particular word was used. Because you can translate the word authority, you can translate it power, or you can do like the Living Bible and just say it says obey the government. They actually translate the word obey the government when it says exercise authority. <laughs> But uh, you read this in the context of Jesus appointing a kingdom that he has taken away from the Pharisees. He's walked into the capital building, Jerusalem. He's walked into the major government temple through which all the social welfare is provided through this temple system, which consists of synagogues, which are Families of ten. We know that synagogues at that time were ten families gathered together. That's come down to us through history. We've known that for years and years and years. We know that the Israelites were gathered in groups of ten families. We know that Jesus commanded that all those people, those 5,000 people following him, uh, 5,000 men in their families, maybe 10, 20,000 people, following him out there in the wilderness when the the grass was yellow-green, that uh, they were commanded to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds. That's like, that's synagogues. The t- ten families is the synagogue. So they're organizing themselves out there. Not like, you know, I mentioned in the last show where they were talking about in the movie Son of God where I talked about that movie. And it's not the only movie that does this. Time and time again I see this representation that the loaves and fishes, the people were just like a mob. And everybody just like grabbing at the baskets and everybody's so excited. Free food, free food. But that's not what we see described in Mark. Is that they're all organized. They're all sitting down in groups of ten, which is synagogues. And those groups of ten are organized together in groups of ten tens. And then fifty tens. (laughs) Fifty hundreds uh, of tens. 
So they're, they're well organized. They're not a mob. And the reason why is because they were going to have to have a daily ministration, which we see them talking about in Acts. And that daily ministration has to be based on free choice, not forced offerings. Go all the way back to John the Baptist. How does the kingdom of God work? <laughs> if you got extra, share with those that don't have enough. And create a connection between you and those people you share with. And so what, what does that usually mean? That usually means the people who have more are sharing with the people who have less. People are, that are better off are sharing with the people who are not as well off. Now, to do that according to the perfect law of liberty, you get to decide. You get to choose how to share. And when to share. And how much to share. And with whom to share. The choice is yours. But you've seen the princes of the Gentiles who exercise dominion over the people. The Gentiles. And they that are great. You know, what what word is that? That they that are great. That That's actually megas. <laughs> that's the word. Them that are megas. And uh, which is translated great or loud. Uh, it has actually 12 miscellaneous translations, which I can't even remember what they all are. So you have this word that them that are outspoken, them that are great, them that are loud. Well, them that exercise authority one over the other exercise this dominion one over the other. And and that word dominion there is uh kata kata curio. Uh I think it is some variation of that. Sometimes the even the Greeks will add a little bit of extra letters when they and I don't have the actual uh text right in front of me, the Greek text right in front of me. But anyway, uh it it brings under one's power. That's what they mean by exercise dominion. They're under your authority. See, uh, that would make you a captive. That would make you a human resource. That would make you merchandise. That would make you a slave, like in the bondage of Egypt. That's the way they do it. And they make the choices. They say, this is what you're going to give. This is when you're going to give it. And we're going to decide who gets it. We're going to pay everybody's student loan off with your money. <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, and so we're not to be like them. But according to this this guy who didn't like my Romans thirteen video, five minute video, and found it very critical because it has to be wrong because it's not what he thinks. So of course it's wrong because it's not what he thinks. But maybe what he thinks is wrong. But anyway. Chris Carter, and I don't have anything against him. I don't want to say anything, because this is typical. This is, this is very common, because people, they think that religion is what they think about God. And they have great faith in what they think about God. And they worship what they think about God. But that's not what religion is, and that's not even what worship is. So, yeah, the Greek word, for power and authority. At least one Greek word for power and authority. It means the authority to make a choice. 
And that's very clear in the definition of the word. And, and we look at the, you know, religious concordances, you know, like theirs and Strong's. And that's what they say. It's, it's the right to choose. But if you're free, you get the right to choose. If you're not free, somebody else chooses for you. And if you somebody else is choosing for you, you know you're a captive. You know you're back into bondage again. Because somebody else is making your choices for you. That's just simple. I'm not bringing theology into it. That's just language. So, but Christ didn't set you free. Because Christ said you have to go under the authority where somebody else makes your choices for you. You don't get the right to choose. Then what was all this instruction to his apostles in the parable where the good, you know, taskmaster, the good uh, individual who's in charge of the debts and says, how much do you owe? I owe this much. How much can you pay? I can only pay half. He says, okay, pay in full. They're giving those people the right to choose. Because in the God's kingdom, in the kingdom preached by Christ, in the kingdom preached by John the Baptist, in the kingdom preached by Moses and all the apostles and all the prophets, you have the right to choose. Other men don't have the right of dominion over you. And that's because it's very important that you have the right to choose so that you learn to choose wisely. So that you learn to choose righteously. And so that's what Christ came to do is to give you back the right to choose. And Paul is just simply saying let everybody have the right to choose. The authority to choose. Don't be like the governments of the Gentiles who hold dominion over people and they have the right to choose for the people. Don't be like that. But Chris Carter says, yeah, we're supposed to be like that because God created the civil government. God created the city of Cain. Uh, God created the city of Nimrod. And we're just supposed, and God created the city of Pharaoh. We shouldn't try to leave Egypt. <laughs> we should just do what they tell us. Because God created them. Are you crazy? God didn't create those. God allowed you to create those. And those, and Christ said, you're not to be like those. You should have a daily ministration based on that choice. That free choice. You don't have that. Most of your churches, you're not taking care of the poor and the needy of society. Maybe a few. But, you know, 90% of the people that go to your churches, they're getting their social safety net, their daily ministration, their daily bread. They have to go to the men who exercise authority and pray to them to get their daily bread. They're, and, and we show in our article, I didn't point this out to them in my response, but I could have added that as well, that, uh, that, uh, those men who you go to, those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority and provide you with a daily administration, provide you with free bread, those are the benefactors who exercise authority, make the choices for you. 
Those are the fathers of the earth. And in order to say that you're my government, you're who I will look to for my social safety net, I have to call you daddy. And at that particular time in Rome, you actually had to call Caesar, Augustus Caesar. Tiberius was there by the he came into power after Augustus Caesar. But uh, when Jesus was born, it was Augustus Caesar, and he was called the Son of God. And you had to reaffirm that he was the Son of God, uh, that you were to call him the Son of God every year by a sacrifice at the temple, which was a government building where you went to to get your welfare your EBT cards and your social security and all those kinds of things. Uh, Tiberius actually knew Herod back when they were young men. Uh, Herod had been to Rome. He knew some of these guys. And that's why Herod, along with the Pharisees, set up a social welfare system through the government temple that provided for the needy of society through tens fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Tens, because that's synagogues. And we know from the biblical scriptures, if you put the pieces of the puzzle together, we know that the blind man who professed Jesus as the Christ, the king, because that's what Christ really means. It means the anointed, which is what their kings were, anointed. That he professed Jesus because Jesus had healed his eyes so he could see. And they they went to that man's parents and they knew that if we profess Jesus, we'll be cast out of the synagogue. We'd be cast out of the social welfare system of our government that we have made for ourselves with the help of the Pharisees and Herod. They could be in the government of Jesus Christ, because see, when they're cast out, the, the Pharisees had already agreed that anybody who professes Jesus Christ as king is going to be cast out. And anybody who gets the baptism of Jesus Christ instead of the baptism of Herod, we point out, Herod had a baptism. That's historically, we just know that. Same as historically, I know that exosia has to do with the right to, the authority to choose, which is why it's translated right and liberty. But Chris doesn't seem to know that. <laughs> so anyway, I, I gave a response. You can go there and I have lots of little links to him. But, uh, you know, he he's under a strong delusion. And, and, you know, I took the time to answer him because I hope and pray that he repents of the deeds of the Nicolaitan and starts to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, I mean, he even brings up First uh, Peter chapter two verses. I don't remember what he, which particular verses he was. But we have a study on the whole First Peter chapter two, and uh, I I sent him a link to that so that he can read that because it, you know it says submit, you know basically to the king. Well, to Christians, the king was Jesus. <laughs> That's who the king was. They did contrary to the decrees of Caesar. What, were they bad? 
Were they disobeying Christ because they're doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar? And I sent them the article that we have on Christian conflict. Why? If Christians were like this guy, then they were the model citizens. They, they, they submitted to the authority of Caesar and everything. But no, they did not submit to the authority of Caesar in their daily ministration. They had their own daily ministration. Which, as we see in 150 AD, that Justin the Martyr says that, you know, this is how we do it. The rich, those that have more, share with those that don't have enough. Which is what I was going to talk to you about is this connection between the rich and the poor. And there's actually a reason why we have this connection between the rich and the poor in the kingdom of God. Because it creates the social bonds that are necessary for the taking care of the needy of society. And by taking care of the needy of society, we create the social bonds necessary for a free society. And people don't understand how that works. But uh, uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm going to bring up um, in some of our videos that we're going to make uh, is... Uh, the Pareto uh, distribution, the Pareto principle, which is a principle that says that 20% of the production of society, or 50% of the production of society is done by 20% of the people. And sometimes they call it the 2080 rule and all this stuff, but I won't go into that now. It'll get us off topic. But uh, the point is, is that there are highly productive people. There are people who get the job done. Every church you go to, there's always certain people that are the workers. Every factory you go to, there are certain people that step up and get the job done. And what happens in some factories is they burn those people out. They they make them, they do all the extra overtime. They're responsible to make sure everything gets done. They're, they may even become the taskmasters. They may get promoted to a point where they can't get the job done anymore. Because they get totally burned out. Some of them get burned out and stay on the job. Some of them just leave and go somewhere else. But it's because of this phenomenon that there are people that are more competent than other people. And and this goes across all, you know, spectrums of life. You see it in sports. You know, you got five guys on your basketball team and two of them are going to do most of the scoring. Maybe one of them will do most of the scoring. You say, well, we don't need those other guys. He's the one that does all the scores. Okay, you send those two guys out on the court and you will start losing the game. Because it isn't just about scoring. They need the support of everybody. In the old days, the rich needed the poor. Because if you were a rich guy, you're going to be a target of somebody robbing you. And so, because nobody wants to rob the poor guy. <laughs> they want to rob the rich guy. So the rich guy needs the poor guys to care about him as much as they care about themselves. Or they won't come to his protection. If you're going to keep your wealth and, and, and remain a wealthy person, you're going to have to invest in the poor people of your community. You're going to have to care about the poor people of your community as much as you care about yourself, as much as you care about your family, as much as you care about your wealth. 
You're going to have to do it because that, there's no other way to keep, you don't have any protection. Now, if you create a civil society, you make a law for yourselves, you can create a civil corporate society or you you, you can turn, because God is a capitalist. We see capitalism all throughout creation. Every squirrel is a capitalist. He gathers his nuts. He keeps his nuts. He hides his nuts for his family. He ends up sharing those nuts because other other squirrels will find some of them. And because some of those nuts that he buries will become trees and they'll make more nuts for generations he doesn't even know. But that's all part of the, the plan. But basically, he's a capitalist. And every bird that makes its nest is a capitalist. Except for the cowbird. The cowbird is a socialist. <laughs> if, you, if you know your, 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 uh, animals and birds, you'll know what I mean by that. If you don't, you just have to look up what a cow, what a cowbird does. Cause he doesn't make his own nest. He lays his eggs in another's nest. But anyway, the reality is, God's a capitalist. And, but he wants you to care about everybody else. And, one of the ways to care about everybody else is to help everybody else become good capitalists. And so that's part of the kingdom. But if you create corporate capitalism, that's different. Because capitalism is you have the right to the means of your production, your labor. Your labor is yours. And then you get to decide how to redistribute your labor. Because, you know, there's redistribution of wealth in the kingdom of God. But the right to choose how to redistribute your wealth is in your hands. It's not in the men who exercise dominion's hands. It's in your hands. Now, you have to do it wisely. So, you want to share your wealth by, you know, giving jobs to guys in your community. By maybe loaning some money to guys in your community so that they can start a business. And you help them start that business. You want that business to be a success. So you're going to help them beyond the loan. You're going to loan them your expertise, your your knowledge. Uh, you're going to promote their business. Because you want them to be a success. Because those guys are the guys that you're going to rely on if people come to take your wealth. And so you're, you're going to protect them because you, you hope they will come and protect you. Because you're not making a contract where they now have to come and protect you because that would be making covenants with other, and making other men rulers over those covenants. This is the kingdom of God. You don't understand how it works as your preachers aren't telling you. Your preachers have divorced your social safety net from the church which it used to be, and put it in the hands of men who exercise dominion one over the other. That's not God's design. God didn't design that. That's man's design. That's Cain's design. That's Nimrod's design. That's Pharaoh's design. That's Caesar's design. That's Herod's design. That's not Jesus' design. Jesus is going to return every man to his family and every man to his possession but those families have to gather together and care about one another and create the connections necessary for a free society and those connections have to be strong bonds that keep you connected to the rest of society but not bonds of contract 
bonds of love, bonds of charity, bonds of hope, bonds of caring about one another. Chris doesn't get that. Chris thinks, no, we join the government. You know, and we submit to the government and we apply to the government and we pray to the government for our benefits and we give them the power of choice. Chris doesn't get that yet. But maybe Chris was never told that. He was told something else. I mean, he went and studied to show himself approved. But the word, he can look this up. What's the word for study in that phrase, in that verse? It's be diligent. Be diligent in what? Be diligent in love and charity, not force and violence like the world does. So anyway, we're going to go and take another break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about connections. And we'll even refer to the New York Times. So be right back and uh, find out more about the kingdom. So welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So what is this uh, study that I mentioned? Uh, actually, is uh, the study is an actual in uh, a Nature magazine came out with this study of Facebook friendships. They looked at like 72 million people in uh, uh, the United States, and which is mostly the adults between the ages of 25 and 44. And they saw certain patterns of friendships and everything, and they they came to a conclusion that. These patterns of friendships, when they cross economic boundaries that they would not normally... If you live in a wealthy neighborhood, uh, a lot of the people in your neighborhood might be your friends. But the reality is I've lived in fairly wealthy neighborhoods, upper middle class neighborhoods when I was a young kid. And although we knew our neighbors to some degree, they weren't necessarily our friends. We didn't have our neighbors over to play bridge. Our bridge groups came from other connections in our community. Now, way back when I was a lot younger, living in Texas, there was a certain amount of that local community where you got together with your close friends and and they were on the next street or on that block and all that. Although there were many people in our community who we knew the name of, but they weren't our close friends. But the reason why is this was all, this is a neighborhood that was built up around a major uh, private school and church. And most of the people in that community went to that church. So we had these other connections. But when you go on Facebook and you have these friends, well, those friends might, you know, because of the fact there's Facebook groups, you may have certain things in common with them. But the point is, is it reaches outside of your neighborhood, which may reach outside of your economic status. And so that people who live in very poor areas may have friends who live in very rich areas because they became friends on Facebooks that seems to leap over those boundaries. I want to say right off from the beginning that your Facebook friends are not necessarily your friends. I get all kinds of requests from people wanting to be my friends and they're 
I don't know if eventually it's, it's scams or what, but there's a certain pattern that, and they're not really, they have nothing, no interest. They don't know what I'm talking about. They have no interest. They saw my profile. <laughs> you know, so I, I delete a lot of those requests. But if you join the network, and I get to know you through the network because we do have something in common because in the network we're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or supposedly, I'm sure there's a lot of people in our network that are not really doing that. They think they are. But time will reveal. The more we move in the direction of the righteousness of God, the more that righteousness will thin out those who don't love the light. And so I'm constantly challenging people on what they normally do not accept as true. So I'm going to bring up topics like Romans 13 that is going to rub certain people wrong. And that's how I ended up writing the article, Romans 13. And that's why I ended up writing the book, The Higher Liberty, which goes through every place that, you know, most of the time that word exousia refers to Jesus Christ, who was Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed, Jesus the king of Judea, the highest son of David, who all the people who got his baptism were kicked out of the kingdom set up by the Pharisees and Herod, who said they had no king but Caesar. So this they were now citizens, and, and we see the apostles working daily in the temple, the major government building. They, they didn't need the gastrophone, which was the treasury of the king, because they had the... Well, actually, they may have had a form of a gastrophone, but it wasn't a central treasury because Christ spoke against the central treasury. But we see them taking up collections to help whole countries full of Christians during major dearths. We see this in Acts. What were they doing? They, they were bringing supplies and, and needed foods to people who had shortages of foods and supplies. Because they were the social welfare. And, and eventually we're going to go through, and we've touched on it previously, is that under the Church of Constantine, their bishops also were in charge of shipments of food. Major grain shipments were done through the bishops to like Constantinople. But then you had people that had turned, or starting to turn religion from how you provide for, you know, and perform your duty to God and your fellow man, which is to care about your fellow man as much as you care about yourself, your fellow man's rights as much as you care about your own rights, your fellow man's children as much as you care about your own children. That's the nature of the kingdom. But they turned that religion, that performance of that duty of care into what I think about God. And you had bishops set up under Constantine that were withholding grain shipments because people did not think the same doctrines that they did. Because they didn't really have a faith in Jesus Christ or the way. They had a faith in their doctrines. So we have to guard against creating doctrines that we believe in that may not be in conformity with the whole doctrines of Jesus Christ. 
because that's what I said from the beginning, and that's what we say regularly, is that the doctrines of the church are only the doctrines of Jesus Christ. If your doctrines don't follow the doctrines of Jesus Christ, if we find contradictions in your doctrines, those doctrines are an error and may lead you to the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which will make you captives again, conquered people again. Because the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, like I said, had nothing to do with a guy named Nicholas, because we know the deeds of the Nicolaitans were also the error of Balaam. Balaam also means conquered people. Balaam. The conquered people. It's about being conquered by your deeds. How do you get conquered by your deeds? You choose to give the power of choice to somebody else that God gave to you. The very nature of giving your power of choice, your liberty of choice, your exousia of choice to somebody else to make that choice for you from now on. It's blasphemy. By definition. It's blasphemy. So anyway, but we were going to talk about connections. But see, that's connecting you with somebody else who's going to make those power of choice. And they do that because you go to them and make them your benefactor. Your daily ministration, your daily bread is not through free will offerings, not through charity, but through what was called legal charity. We have an article on legal charity, so go look at that. But anyway, this expansive, vast study, that was the name of the article, Vast New Study Shows a Key to Reducing Poverty. More Friendships Between Rich and Poor. But of course, that's what, that's what Pentecost was all about. Relationships between rich and poor. That's what sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands was about, was relationships between the rich and the poor. That's why we see, again, Justin the Martyr, when he's writing to Antonius Pius, who's the emperor of Rome, saying to him, this is how we do it. We sit down every week, and those that have extra share with those that don't have enough. Why is he telling Antonius Pius that? Because Antonius Pius, the way he does it, is he exercises dominion one over the other. And they sit down every week. <laughs> and they take away from those who have more and give to those who don't have as much. Because Rome had become, gone from a republic to a democracy to a social democracy. Where they had free bread and circuses. Which of course we know will degenerate the people. As they institute the rule of force and violence. Chris evidently is okay with rule of force and violence. Because we're supposed to be subject to the governments he says are created by God. But the governments he says are created by God are not the governments created by Jesus Christ. So he ends up quoting First Peter chapter 2 verse 13 or 17 through there. Because we're supposed to be subject to the king. But he seems to have forgotten that Jesus Christ was king. Jesus Christ was another king, which is why the early Christians were doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar. They weren't disobeying Caesar. They didn't have to obey Caesar because they had another king, one Jesus. 
that even Pontius Pilate recognized this is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Judea, the citizens of Judea, which is why Paul is using phrases like polytume in reference to the affairs of the church. And polytume is civil affairs. Because this, the kingdom of God was a civil government not created by the people, except in conformity to Christ, it was created by Christ. When he took the kingdom away from the Gentiles, uh, from the, the Pharisees who were acting more like the Gentiles, who sat in the seat of Moses and appointed it to the apostles, which he said he was going to do. I'm, it's my pleasure to appoint unto my little flock a kingdom. Because they knew that we're not to exercise authority. We're not to take the choice away from the people. We're to give the choice back to the people. And that choice is not to the mob. It's not a democracy. It's to the individual. To the individual family. Because we're returning every man to his family. So that now that man is going to make the choices for his family. Within his family. In consulting with his queen, his wife, and of course the Holy Spirit is the ultimate trump card in this, which is sent to you by God. Because I'm pretty sure that a lot of the guys that are now in ruling power throughout the world today are not listening to the Holy Spirit. That's just my personal observation. You can take that to the bank and <laughs> deposit it. The, anyway, this study found that if poor children grew up in neighborhoods where 70% of their friends were wealthy, the typical rate of friendship for higher income children, it would increase their future income by 20% on average. So, the fact that they have friends who are wealthy makes them more likely to be wealthy. So, would that also fit if your friends are virtuous? Will you be 20% more virtuous? <laughs> if your friends are sinners, will you be 20% more sinners? And, of course, this is why Paul says from such turn away. He has a big long list of people that are covetous, you know, desiring benefits at the expense of their neighbor, people that are backbiters, people that are, you know, all these different things that he lists off. He says, from such turn away. You know, because what, what fellowship do we have with darkness? Because the, the, their minds are darkened from, they don't love the light. They don't love the truth that we should live by faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty. Chris doesn't get that. Hey, I, I suspect that Chris is not far from that, but his his personal private interpretation and doctrines are getting in the way of him seeing the nature of the kingdom. And and maybe there's other reasons too, but I don't I don't know, and I don't want to speculate, or I'd be guilty of ad hominems picking on him. But they call this uh, these friendships of rich and poor because the reality is people don't get it that the rich can profit from their friendships with the poor as well. 
Because what friendship does is it often gives you different perspective. You 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 are now see, when you're trying to put the puzzle together, the puzzle of creation together. <laughs> you have to look at all the sides of the puzzle because every side of the puzzle has to fit. And the poor are looking at it from one angle, and the rich are looking at it from another angle. So it's always good to look at things from other people's point of view, which is why I allow comments on the video, why I try to answer them. And, of course, we have lots of the answers. I just listened to a audio that I did years ago on blasphemy, and, you know, what blasphemy is and what it means. And that's why I even point out that what, what uh, Chris is saying is literally blasphemy. That God created all the governments of the world. Now, I will admit that in God's creation, you're allowed to create a government for yourself. And if you choose unwisely, the government you create for yourself will be the source of your punishment. Because the governments are there, of the, the governments of the world are there in God's design, but He didn't design those governments. See, that's two, that's two different ideas. Don't mix them. You're not looking at all the edges of the piece of the puzzle if you're mixing those ideas. The fact that God allowed Cain to exist, you know, Cain's city-state to be created, was because he knew Cain's city-state would punish the wicked. The, the fact that God allowed Nimrod to go his way was going to end up punishing the people, dividing the people. You know, that's what's so amazing if you actually understood all this stuff. CRT, uh, these inclusive philosophies, CRT is not inclusive, it's actually segregating. Critical race theory is actually segregating, dividing people according to race. I mean, they say it right out. But they, then they throw out a word like, but we're inclusive. But you're, you're categorizing people based on, you know, criteria such as something as innocuous as race, color of skin. That, that is, that is so bigoted, so prejudiced, so anti-reason. Because, I mean, all black people aren't the same. All white people aren't the same. I mean, the amount of pigment in their skin might be the same. <laughs> but, but that isn't who you're not who that's not who makes you who you are it's not your pigment so that that's crazy it's it's the very thing that they say is inclusive is actually divisive the the uh all almost everything they are claiming to try to do they're actually doing the opposite of so anyway, back to the kingdom before we run out of time. Is So how does the kingdom include rich and poor? They actually make it a virtue to be charitable. Well, the, I know all of a lot of rich guys who are very charitable with other rich guys. <laughs> you know, they make deals with, they help other rich guys become richer. But... The nature of charity is, to, generally speaking, concept is to help the poor, help the needy of society. 
And why are you helping the needy of society? Because, according to Christ, you care about them as much as you care about yourself, which is always fascinating when you look at these elites in Bohemian Grove. Their goal was to kill, kill care. They had cross-class friendships. I, I shouldn't say cross. They had cross-friendships. Uh, because you would see Democrats and Republicans the, of the elite all there arm in arm, you know, uh, Clinton and and uh, uh, Carter and and uh, Bushes all there with arms around each other, all buddy buddy. But you didn't find the common man there. As a matter of fact, if you found the common man, he, they were going to throw him out. So, the idea of the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom, uh, because if you're going to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you're going to sit down with wealthy and poor. Now, the danger is, and there are things that are built into, and you can find them in the Old Testament and to some degree in the New Testament, but it's just a matter of common sense that one of the things that went wrong if you go back to Samuel, Samuel 8, is there was corruption because some of the tens, hundreds, and thousands that they were organized in started bribing the judges to let certain people off the hook of their responsibilities. And they were corrupting the judicial system, which is also run through the tens, hundreds, and thousands through a system of appeals courts. And they thought the only way we could fix this was to centralize authority. You know, have a king. And God knew that you might want to have a king someday, but he told you to write a very specific constitution that would limit that king's powers so that he didn't have the power of choice for you. And there were five things. And we go through that also in Contracts, Covenants. and Well, actually, mostly in yeah Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, another book free online. We show you those. You can look it up in Deuteronomy 17. If you go to Preparing You, you can just look up. Deuteronomy 17, and and then we'll have links to other articles that go into greater depth. See, that was one of the things Chris just watches a five-minute video, and then suddenly he said, well, this is wrong, because it's not what I think. And what I think is true. Instead of looking like, what's he talking about? Let's just try to find out what he's talking about. Let's find out... Is there more? Because this 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 five minute video doesn't really go into all the you know he's, he wasn't questioning to find out what the truth was. He just immediately you know trying to throw me under a bus. I don't fit well. <laughs> anyway, that's what, that 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 that's a wrong presence of mind, and that was never the way I was when I was in the the. The seminary, studying under all these scholars or even dealing with others, that when they have a criticism, and that's what I did with Chris, is they said, so where's the facts? Why do you think that what's in this five-minute video is wrong? And he came back with some stuff. But they, again, you know, like he came out with, excusia means power and choice. Uh, no, power and, uh, and authority. When it actually means the power of choice and the authority to make those choices. 
That's actually what it means. There are other words for power. Dominion. And we show you that when you're looking at that. But the kingdom is not about having power over others. It's about connections. And connections based on virtue. Not connections based on who's got the most money. Who can help me in my business. It's about virtue. Because, I mean, if you're looking for somebody who's going to dangle a carrot, well, we're going to help you out, we're going to give you this and everything, you're being set up for a con. And, of course, that's what's happening in most of the churches today is that the pastors are actually conning the people. Of course, a lot of them have been conned themselves. But they're preaching half a gospel or maybe 80% of the gospel. They're just leaving out the stuff about covetous practices. So much so that when you point out that if you're desiring benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other, which are those benefactors that he talks about in Luke, if you're desiring benefits from those men who exercise dominion, like the Gentiles, like the other governments of the world, that that's a covetous practice. And Peter says that not only make you merchandise, it will curse your children. And of course, if you look at the news, that's what Klaus Schwab says. You will own nothing. You'll belong to the government. And you'll be happy because we'll take care of you. But the way they're going to take care of you is they're going to reduce the world's population. And a lot of you are not included in that. They're not done. They're not done. They're going to continue. The question is, are you willing to repent and turn around and go the other way, the way of Christ? I'm not saying disobey civil government. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. I'm saying turn your thinking around and start seeking those bonds, those connections of a free society. Start strengthening those bonds. And you can't really do that unless you religiously, I use it in the sense of, as a regular practice, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about somebody else other than just yourself. You're gathering together so that you'll be more prosperous, but the only way that works is that if you gather together so that others will be more prosperous. Yeah, just before we started the show, I heard on the news that uh, under the previous administration, which only lasted four years, the, uh, the, the, the buying power and the mean income in, in terms of buying power went up like $4,000 per household, I think it was. So you, you were making more. There were more and, and how they come to those statistics, I don't know, but it was what was reported on the news. But during the present administration, that has decreased almost $4,000. So all those gains that supposedly were created have gone away. But I don't, I could tell you all kinds of bad things that happened in the previous administration too. What you really need to focus on is the administration of Christ's government. Jesus, Jesus' government. Because Jesus was the Christ, the anointed, the king. He was setting up a government that took care of the needy of society through free bread. 
that strengthened the poor. And this is what people are failing to realize is that they are committing the sin of Sodom. Which you can look up for yourself what the sin of Sodom was because it tells you in Ezekiel 16.49. But we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in, in the article they actually point out that some places enable much more income mobility than others. And they ask the question, why? And they attempt to answer it. And some of their answers are actually food for thought. But they never really quite get to it. And, of course, uh, if we look at Ezekiel 16.49, for those of you who did not look it up, <laughs> I mentioned it before the break. It says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, which is pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her, in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So, they're talking pride and fullness of bread and, and abundance, but also they failed to strengthen the hand of the poor. And so, what? why did they fail to strengthen the hand of the poor? You have to remember, like, the king of Sodom, after the people were captured, you know, they were attacked by a city. large number of the people and probably a lot of gold and valuables were stolen from the city by these people who stormed the city. But they also took people captive, people they thought would be of value. And they were going to take them away. And, of course, Abraham, this itinerant guy out in the wilderness, supposedly, musters an army overnight that defeats, defeats this other army, which evidently is composed of like five armies, five different groups, defeats them in one night. And sets the captive free. And uh, then the king of Sodom shows up. I don't know where he's been hiding all this time. But he says, uh, you can have all the stuff they stole. The spoils. Because, I mean, you you mustered this army and you went and and defeated them. So, all the stuff they took, you can take that as payment. But give me the people. Because he owns the people. They're subjects. They're captive. They're in bondage. Some portion of their labor belongs to the king. Like you. Some portion of your labor belongs to the government. Like in Egypt. When you were in Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. And that's how the government supported itself. Because you had to work for them. Now, we'll go into this in another video and probably other shows, and we have gone to some degree. That's what Cain was doing. A portion of people's labor belonged to Cain. That's what he did in his city-state. That's not what Abel was doing. Abel was doing what the apostles did. He was a shepherd. And he was... Doing something completely different. So his sacrifice was accepted. Cain's sacrifice was somewhat rejected. But if Cain did his job well, he would still be blessed. 
the problem is the power that Cain manifested in his city-state usually corrupts almost everybody. Only a few people have escaped that corruption. Certainly David was corrupted. In part, he repented. That was the thing that David was after, the heart of God, because he repented of his corruption. But he was corrupted from time to time. Jesus was tempted to be corrupted as well, but Jesus was not corrupted. Moses, generally speaking, was pretty good. He fell down and exercised authority in a couple of places and got him into trouble. Now, a lot of people aren't going to understand that if you don't understand the basics. And this is one of the things is that when I went and I looked up blasphemy because I was looking up preparing for some of these other videos and audios that we want to make. And I saw, well, I've already done a whole page on blasphemy. I, I was looking at it in the middle of the night, making changes early in the morning. And uh, I could add a whole section uh, to it. And with greater detailed explanation. But I, I wanted to hear what I had in audios first on that page. And we have a really good program that talks about blasphemy. And I just went to another page where we have audios. Uh, almost uh, two and a half hours audios on this other page that uh, was put up already. And uh, it was on social capital because in this article that I'm referring to, this vast study, they mentioned social capital several times. And it is that social capital that answers the question that they were asking, why? Why do some places enable an upward mobility and other places don't? Well, actually, this will go back to our article on tribalism, which we never really finished. But I will probably add to, and we'll add the audios that we did on tribalism to that page. And so you can explore around it, preparing you, and you can see these audios on a lot of the pages. You can just play those audios if you don't want to read all the material. But the audios will make reference to materials with footnotes and links to other articles that where all the pieces of the puzzle are dealt with as they are revealed by your questions, by your interaction with the network, which is what I depend upon a lot for the material for the show. And that's why I, I appreciate Chris's comments. Is it, it, it gave some sust, you know, they, he asked the questions that I'm sure a lot of other people will ask. Well, actually, he didn't start with that. He started with accusations, but I got him to bring up some of his points, and then I treated him as questions and showed him that we already have looked at these things that he's bringing up. Because I, I, I approached all this with critical thinking myself. Not critical race theory, but critical thinking examining, well, what's wrong with this? Why doesn't this fit? Why doesn't this work? Why doesn't this jive with the rest of Scripture? In the article, they uh, quote a professor, Strobel, who says, people interested in creating economic connectedness should equally focus on getting people with different incomes to interact. Well, not just different incomes, but different viewpoints, different 
standards, different denominations. But you need to have some sort of standard in your culture that comes about and explains the details of what we're looking for and not looking for. Because the same as some things will help us strengthen the poor and make their lives better off, some things will weaken the poor. One of the quotes they have is, uh, you know, my mom really instilled working hard in us, being knowledgeable about our family history. You have to be better. You have to do better, said Mrs. Bowie, who was 24. I thought it was interesting. Where's dad? You know, see, that that's a factor that a lot of people don't want to really comprehend and understand is that God created the family. And in that family, we see that God is designed something. This is why the Jubilee was about returning every man to his family. Where, where was he? Was he gone? Did he, did he abandon the family? Well, this is why Jesus says, call no man father. Because if there's another man, a government, a patronus, a parents patria, that is the father of your house, providing the benefits of your house, making the choices, the exousia for your household, then your father's not making those choices. Somebody's got to make those choices. And I can guarantee that the fathers who make the choices for the family are immediately answerable to the wife. (laughs) By the nature of the wife, which was created by God, which is a good thing. And this is a perfect design for the development of your family. Because your children, when they're all born, they're poor. They have no skills, they can't walk, they can't control the bladder, they can't do a lot of things. They're very poor. But the parents raise them to be wealthy, to have skills, to have knowledge, to have understanding, to have abilities. And they, because poverty and wealth is not just about economics, it's the economics of life. The economics of virtue, which brings in this thing called social capital, which they're bringing up on a regular basis in uh, this article about how to become, how the poor become upwardly mobile in economics. Well, you need to know also how you become downwardly mobile in economics as well. And one of those is the social capital and the social debt. It is absolutely essential that people are responsible for their actions, responsible for their choices. This is why Christ returned the exousia to the people in the kingdom of God. Is you have to make your choices. You have to establish those choices as yours, not somebody else's. You have to exercise your authority, your duty 
to God and your fellow man. That's absolutely essential for your growth. Which, like I said in the article on tribalism, you know, we point out that that there's this phenomenon that occurs that hard times produce strong men. Strong men produce good times. Good times produce weak men. Weak men produce hard times. So you have this up and down cycle in society. The kingdom of God is not going to create that up and down cycle. That will be created in the kingdoms of the world. And that cycle, like a sine wave, will become even greater where you will have your bubble uh, where they promise you, you know, liberty, which is what Klaus Schwab is actually promising you, liberty. Liberty from your responsibilities. We'll make the choices for you. You'll have nothing. You have no right to make choices. We'll make the choices for you. And you'll be happy if you're not dead. And your family is not annihilated from the face of the earth. You need to take back your responsibilities if the Holy Spirit is going to enter into your family, into your congregations, into your communities, and guide you through what is coming. And this is a topic that we'll also cover a great deal, is that where Jesus tells Peter, Blessed are you, Simon. Because he's still called Simon. Because you are a Peter, a small rock. You have demonstrated a small rock of faith. Because you know this, not by the knowledge of men. Not by flesh and blood. Not by the tree of knowledge. But by my Father, who has revealed it to you. And this is one of the mysteries of mankind. Is that we can learn things you know, which is why I point out, you know, it says, study this, show thyself approved. The word there that they translate into study in the King James Bible is not translated study anywhere else in the King James Bible. It's translated be diligent. Which is why, again, all the pieces have to fit. It fits with what Christ said. It's not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. And are diligent in doing the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that you do not covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, but that you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Are you doing that religiously in a congregation of ten families connected with ninety more families, connected with thousands of more families? Because you will need that system of God. That kingdom of God, that way of God to overcome the armies that are going to come down upon you from the Klaus Schwabs and the Putins and the, and I can name people on both sides of the aisle that would like to exercise authority one over the other. I was taking notes, there was a, uh, it wasn't recent, it was over a year ago, but it's finally resolved uh, fairly recently. And, and Daily Wire, I think, put up the videos of a woman who got a traffic ticket for a busted taillight. Somebody had dented her fender and the taillight was kind of hanging there. And I don't know that it wasn't working, but it could have 
been completely busted, but it certainly needed repair. And she had, she had not got it repaired in a timely fashion, and this cop was now giving her a ticket. And uh, she said, well, I don't want to have to pay this ticket, which is not the argument that this cop makes. The cop says, I'm giving you a ticket. You show up in court. You have it repaired. You show the judge you have it repaired, and he may forgive the ticket. He could have said that. And that your signature on the ticket is not an admission of guilt. He could have said that. And that you can still get out of paying this ticket if the judge deems that you have made a good faith effort to fix this. He could have just issued her a warning. Evidently, he said that she had had this for months. This is a tiny little community. This isn't Los Angeles. I think there's only like 800 people in the whole town. So, I mean, you're, you're talking a couple hundred adults. Everybody knows everybody. He knew who she was. He knew where she lived. He could have just given her a warning. It would, probably would have been fixed that week. It would have stimulated her to do it. She just lost a couple of grandkids in a tornado. And and she's a bit of a Karen. She got upset too quickly, too easily. She didn't. She's not used to police stop. She didn't understand the rules. And he didn't try to explain it. He immediately, because she didn't want to sign it, he didn't need her signature. You can get arrested if you refuse to sign a ticket in Oklahoma. But you don't have to get arrested. He does. He can write on it, refuse to sign, hand her a copy. She doesn't show up in court. The judge can issue a bench warrant. Personally, I wouldn't have wasted the court's time with all this. I would have issued her a warning and she would have got it fixed within the week probably. I would have warned her, you got to get this fixed. You, did, you can fix it temporarily, but you got to have this light working because you're creating a little bit of a hazard because you only have one light working. And if that one goes out, you have no tail lights and somebody's going to rear-end you again. You could have talked to her that way, but instead he wanted to escalate it to an arrest. He probably cost the taxpayer, taxpayers over $100,000. He ended up tasing her, handcuffing her. Then he had to take her to a hospital because after you tase a 65-year-old woman, you have to have her medically checked out. Somebody's paying for all that. Just the credited to the different agencies bill was over $1,500. And the overall cost, because they had to rely on a DA from outside of their town, because their town was so small. Uh, it took over a year to resolve this, and, and the lawyers probably made out <laughs> some money. It's, it's a broken taillight. Why escalate it? I thought it was terrible police work. But what I found most interesting when I made the comment that this was poor police work, uh, abuse of power, so many people, it, she should obey the law. That was absolutely justified. No, it wasn't. And, but they can't see it. They can't see it because they have lived under a socialist state for almost 90 years since FDR, who is the Nimrod of American politics. He, he has done more to bring this nation into chaos and probably any other single president, although LBJ was working on it. But the others have all been given the instruments of power by what FDR chose to do, which is why I was critical of another statement made by Prager, uh, Dennis Prager, who was saying we shouldn't fear, fear not. I mean, the Bible says fear not. Jesus says fear not. Proverbs says fear not. Because fear is a tool of 
tyrants. But he quotes FDR, <laughs> who did more to promote fear in America. Why? Because he did more to weaken the poor of society and the wealthy of society as well by creating a social welfare system of legal charity. If you don't understand what that means, you need to read our article on legal charity and listen to the audios on this subject. Because you're going to be in the, that cycle of hard times produce strong men and strong men produce good times. The reality is hard times produce strong men because a lot of the weak men die. <laughs> and back to that sine wave scale. The longer you put it off, the more people will die. And the more socialist your system is, the more people will die. Because socialism is meant to put off the consequences of greed and selfishness and pride. Those sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what socialism is designed to do. To relieve the consequences of your bad choices. If you want to save America, end all social welfare in America. You probably can't end it overnight. But that's that will do more to save Americans than student loans. <laughs> and we've talked about that. You know, why student loans and why they were a bad idea. Why they were, in early America, they were absolutely unnecessary. You could get a college education. If you could keep the grades, you could get a college education at Harvard without paying a dime. If you were poor enough that you didn't have a dime. You could get, and when you graduated from Harvard, if you kept up your grades, if you graduated from Harvard, you owed no student loans. Because they were operating closer then to the way of Christ, which is, again, based on faith, hope, and charity. Who's paying your tuition when you're going to Harvard for free? It was written into their, their system, into their bylaws. That if a person couldn't pay, but they could keep the grades, they could get the education. And they did. Indians graduated from Harvard. White men graduated from Harvard. Uh, probably some uh, partially black people, mulattoes, that was a lot of mulattoes around. I don't know when the first black person graduated from Harvard. You know, really black person. Most of the people who are black in America are not really fully black because there's a lot of mixing of the races. And the mixing of the races, Indians marrying blacks and blacks marrying whites and and not always in marriage. Uh, but that that's what happens in a free society. And that does more to end racism than CTR, CRT. CRT will do more to create racism, which is really their goal. They couldn't push communism on people with class warfare in America because there was too much capitalism and too many people were getting well off. So they've, they shifted their strategy that will create race war. I mean, they've written books about this years ago. They will create a conflict between the races and CRT is designed to create conflict in the races. White Fragility was written to create conflict between the races. Christianity, real Christianity, not fake Christianity, not pseudo-Christianity, 
Not modern Christianity is designed to end that division of the people. You would not. If people were really practicing Christianity, there would not be 40,000 denominations. There is, and more, because Christ is not the common denominator. The doctrines of Jesus are not the common denominator of modern Christianity. Modern Christianity has all kinds of other doctrines which are not the true doctrines of Christ. And we need to repent of that. We need to change our mind from that. And the only way we'll do that is to get rid of the pride in our doctrines. Because pride goeth before the fall. We need to reverse the way in which we look at this idea of the way. The way of Christ. Anyway, God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.